Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can find the show online at buildingthefutureshow.com or follow me on Twitter at Building Show. You can also find it on iTunes, Stitcher, and YouTube. I'm excited to announce that I'm now a brand ambassador for the Business Rock Summit in Manchester, England, April 21st and 22nd, where Steve Wozniak is headlining. More details at business-rocks.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Marcel Fairbairn, CEO of LED Source. Marcel, welcome to the show. Thank you for the opportunity, Kevin. Yeah, so maybe before we kind of get started about kind of what you're doing and whatnot, um, let's talk about where you grew up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, I'm, I'm happy to say that my Flames beat your Oilers on the weekend on Saturday night, so uh, uh, in Edmonton as well, so that was kind of fun. <laughs> but uh, I grew up in Calgary, Canada, of course, uh, home of the Calgary Flames. Sure. And uh, uh, relocated to South Florida in 1991, and I've been living here in Palm Beach County since that time. So, um, But yeah, I'm a, I'm a Canadian, and I'm from just down the road from you. Yeah, about three hours. So how, yes. I'm curious, and what made you move to Florida? Uh, it's actually quite a long story, but it, it's related to, uh, you know, the typical reasons that you, you jump from country to country and move around the world, a girl and a career. And uh, <laughs> so it was a little bit of both. My wife is from Chicago, and I kind of jumped from Canada into Chicago first for a very short period of time and then was offered uh, a career position in 1991, end of 91, uh, by a company that was based in Denmark, but their U.S. office was in Miami, Florida. So uh, my wife and I relocated to, well, she was my girlfriend at the time, but we re- relocated to Florida, and uh, we've been here living happily ever since. Nice. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I, I love Florida, so I'm excited to come yeah. down again. Yeah, me, <laughs> me, me too, especially this time of year when, when everyone else is complaining about uh, blizzards and snowfall and cold and you know, here it's a, a balmy 85 degrees, so. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I feel bad for you. Not a terrible place to be. Yeah. Cool. So I'm curious then, how did you get into technology? Well, you know, again, another long and, and uh, I, I find that a lot of people who end up in certain businesses didn't go straight to that business right out of college or uh, you know, it, it was not really the uh, expected result of, the, of their career or whatever. Sure. So I started as a musician early on uh, back in Western Canada. And somehow that, that music background and musical creative background led me into the lighting business. And I started my lighting career in, uh, I hate to say it, but mid to late 80s. And uh, from there, you know, it just kind of blossomed into into a lighting career. And then uh, I guess what you're calling technology is the fact that I'm now in the LED business. Exactly. And that was really, that was really just a natural transition. I was in lighting and um, it was, uh, I remember it quite well. I was the, the head of a company, uh, that company based out of Denmark. And I was in uh, Orlando at a lighting convention and walked by a booth and saw a guy with a little round thing dangling around his neck. Uh, that had a bunch of different color LEDs, red, green, and blue LEDs on it. And um, he had a little controller in his hand, and he was able to mix those three colors to create any other color. And uh, I stopped in my tracks, and I said to my secretary at the time, oh, my God, things just really drastically changed. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, 
you know, now that we've got all three of these colors of LEDs, we're going to be able to produce any color and LED is going to really take over the lighting business. And at the time, I guess I really didn't know the impact of that statement. Uh, in 1997, it was very early in, in the LED business. And, and really, it was all based on color changing stuff. It wasn't based on uh, what we now know today, the white general lighting, uh, commercial lighting applications. So, um, you know, really that was kind of my first uh, notice of where technology was going to go and, and what my part in that technology was going to be. So uh, it was a, a very normal, typical transition from uh, what we'll call traditional or conventional lighting into LEDs for me. Sure. So did you go to post-secondary or, or anything for any of this stuff at any point in your career? Uh, no, I really didn't. Um, I was very much a self-taught lighting person. Again, I, I was in rock bands sure. in, in, the, uh, in the 70s and early 80s. And it's funny because I was always the guy that they would assign to uh, go connect the 220-volt power supply to our big light dimming packs. Right. And uh, I, I now know that I was kind of dumb at the time. They were doing that because nobody else wanted to get shocked. And uh, <laughs> it, it, at, at the time, you would always go to the bar manager and say, you sure that 220-volt supply on the stage is turned off? And he'd say, oh, yeah, yep, turned it off myself. <laughs> and uh, you know, a few minutes later, I'm laying on my back on the stage because I just got hit by, by 220 volts of, uh, of electricity. So, um, But you know, that kind of started it. And, uh, you know, just from there, uh, I, I really just love the creative aspect of lighting. And so I became very excited about the products. And it was a really interesting time for lighting, too, because lighting itself at that time was really transitioning. And, you know, I guess I've hit two different periods of time, disruptive periods of time in the lighting industry. I never really thought of it this way, but the first one was going from conventional to automated lighting and that's where I started in the lighting business and what that means is conventional lighting being typical theatrical lighting that just pointed at a subject it didn't change color didn't do anything um, and that was transitioning over to automated lighting where you were able to move the lights and reposition them using a computer uh, control system and you could also change the color of those lights so any light show you see now is made up of a combination of automated lighting and LED lights, and really there's hardly any conventional lighting used anymore. And so, you know, that first major disruption of the lighting business was going from conventional lighting to automated, and then the most recent going from, uh, you know, traditional light sources like incandescents and, and uh, discharge lamps and stuff over to LED. So uh, I've, I've been lucky to be a part of both of those. Sure. No, that's awesome. So at what point did you start LED Source? Well, we, uh, in 2002, um, I was already in business uh, with my other company, which is Gearsource.com. It's, uh, it's like an online, it's like the eBay of the concert, entertainment, sound, lighting, staging, video business. Right. And uh, I got a call from a friend of mine in, in England who had just uh, started to manufacture a line of LED stuff. And as I said, I, I had already been familiar with LED products. I started seeing them as early as 1997. And um, so he said to me that, uh, you know, these, these lights were being made in England. They were being uh, very well accepted. 
in the lighting markets over there, primarily entertainment and architectural markets. And uh, would I be interested in carrying that brand into the United States? So we partnered in, and created a joint venture company here under his business's brand. And uh, it started to take off a little bit. So I think in about 2004, my go-to guy in, in that, that friend's company uh, was a gentleman named Gavin Cooper. And I reached out to Gavin and said, you know, this thing is starting to take off. I've got my other business to run. Would you be interested in moving over here to the United States and taking over the LED side of my business? And, uh, and he was very excited about that and moved his family over to Florida. <clears throat> Again, it was probably about this time of year when it was getting cold in, in England. And sure. uh, his family was like, heck, yeah, sunshine. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and so uh, – so Gavin moved over here and we quickly changed. We, we um, kind of folded that other business into what became LED Source. And uh, instead of being partners with that British company, we became partners over here. And, uh, and we continued to distribute that, that British line of LEDs, but we were also able to carry other products. We just saw the market becoming much more vast than a little boutique brand out of England. So that was uh, that was really what drove us to change the name to LED Source and found that company in 2005. Sure. So maybe we can cover kind of exactly what what kind of stuff are you guys selling? Like, I, I get that it's LED lights and whatnot, but maybe just for the listener to, to maybe like cover a little bit more broad about exactly what that really means and kind of what you guys offer. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it really started early on in 2005. We, we were still very much involved in more the entertainment and architectural markets. And the reason behind that is because the, the big benefit of LED at that time was the um, ability to change color within the product without having to use gels or filters of any kind. Uh, just by mixing the colors of LED, you were able to generate any color. So that was actually a big deal. It was convenience. It was very simple. And uh, from a packaging standpoint, just made a lot of sense as far as entertainment was concerned. But in the architectural business, the real big benefit was lack of maintenance. So think about back in the late uh, 1900s or the year, early 2000s even, people were lighting bridges and buildings using traditional uh, older technologies. Sure. And those lights were generating a lot of heat. They were failing uh, quite often. So, um, you know, I know, uh, for example, we recently uh, were involved in relighting the Epcot Center, the ball oh, at wow. the Epcot Center in, in Orlando. So that ball used to be lit by conventional lighting uh, technology. And, um, you know, and, and other projects like that where there was another project actually over at uh, Downtown Disney which is gone now, this, this particular project, but it had a moat around it. And that moat, people were always out in rowboats replacing light bulbs. So um, bridges, things like that, where access is not very simple, LED made a whole heck of a lot of sense. So fast forward a little bit, what happened is, is LED went beyond color-changing products, and they came up, I'm, I'll try not to geek out too much on technology here, but science no, came up with, uh, something called remote phosphor, where you were able to um, take blue LEDs and put a phosphor coating over top of them. And the, the particular color of blue was able to excite that phosphor and create white light. 
And so now you had there, there's no such thing as a white LED. So you had these blue LEDs that were capable of producing white light. And now um, what that did is gave us access to all general lighting markets. So now instead of just going after lighting the bridges and, and the buildings of the world uh, with color, we were able to now replace standard lights in your ceiling with uh, LED lights that gave you the benefit of much longer life. We're talking about uh, light bulbs and light fixtures that can last as much as 20, 25 years. Um, they were able to save a ton of energy, uh, in most cases, anywhere from 50 to 90% energy savings. Wow. And, and they don't generate any kind of heat. So, you know, just all kinds of benefits uh, provided by this technology. And it, it's one of the few green technologies that really ever came out that saves you money and pays for itself. Whereas, um, you know, most times when we talk about buildings that are uh, becoming more green, you're talking about putting, uh, you know, less harmful products in your cleaning and your paint on your walls, all kinds of things. And, and that all costs extra money. Whereas with this LED lighting technology, you're able to save the money. And due to those savings, Another uh, service that we provide is we will finance these projects. So when we're looking at a job that, let's say, it's $100,000 to replace all of your lighting with LED, we'll pay for that up front. We'll put the money out. We'll pay for installation and uh, even recycling of your old products. And then the way that that money gets paid back is based on the savings. So if you're saving, uh, if you're saving $2,000 a month in electricity, Maybe the lights will cost you seventeen or eighteen hundred a month, so you're still pocketing some money, and then in a few years you get the entire two thousand dollars a month. And by then, chances are the energy cost has increased, and now instead of saving two thousand a month, you're saving three thousand a month. So um, it really is uh, kind of a win-win-win type of solution. Sure, that that's what I find kind of interesting about your angle and kind of what you're doing is. You kind of have a different spin on the on the business model side of things, and 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 that's kind of what fascinated me about kind of you and what you're doing. Um, I kind of want to cover a little bit on um, franchising, and we should definitely mention that you were in Entrepreneur Magazine for kind of being a rebel. And I I kind of love how you kind of go about things differently, and I think it's really inspiring. Yeah. So uh, you know, in 2008, so. Uh, Actually, it was, I think it was the end of 2008. Um, I did mention I'm from Calgary, Canada. And about uh, 12 years ago, I really began to miss Canada a lot. And so my wife and I built a house up in, uh, in Banff. Well, actually in Canmore, technically, but most people know it as Banff. Sure, yeah. It's about, and, what, 40 um, minutes? Yeah, exactly. 20 but minutes, it's right maybe. In the uh, Canadian, hmm. right, right in the Canadian Rocky Mountains. Beautiful, beautiful place. And so um, end of 2008, I was on my way up there to go meet up with my family for Christmas. And uh, I met a gentleman on the plane and we were talking about LEDs and he was really inspired by our business and really excited about LED technology. He had been investing in a, in a brand called Cree uh, in their stock and was quite aware of, of the technology and where the market was going and really said, LED is the future. And this was pretty early on. This was in 2008. 
And I said, I know it's the future, but geez, how do we get there? And (laughs) he said, well, what you really need is you need a location in every city because I'll tell you, as an investor in Crete, I was trying to buy stuff for my own business and for my house, and I wasn't able to buy these products anywhere, and nobody had knowledge of what I should buy. And so I really needed an expert, and you guys call yourself the LED lighting experts, and so I need you to open a location in Dallas, where I'm based. Right. And uh, so, you know, I kind of ruined my entire Christmas vacation that year, drawing circles on paper and trying to figure out how am I going to open a location in every city of this country. And this was 2008, remember, and for those of you in Canada, uh, you didn't have it quite as, as hard as we did, but... In the United States, banks were in a complete meltdown in 2008. So you weren't just going to go to the bank and say, hey, I've got this great idea and this really cool business model. Give me millions of dollars so I can go open locations. That wasn't going to work. So instead, um, what we had to do, and, you know, we looked at uh, all the different investment possibilities, venture capital, private equity. But because we were a small, young startup company, we felt like we were going to ha- have to give up too much, if not all of our equity, to, to get into that position where we had enough capital to build locations in multiple cities quickly, because this was a timing thing as well. So uh, at some point, I had a conversation with one of my advisors slash friends, and I said, here's my dilemma. What do you think? And um, he, he was doing business at the time with a, a new franchise company called Salad Creations, which is a very successful franchise company. And he said to me, have you thought about franchising? And I said, wow, no, not at all. You mean like Subway and and McDonald's? That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Then he said, no, how about if you were to go into electrical wholesalers and open a little kiosk that said LED source and educate people through that kiosk? And I hated, I hated that idea. I didn't like it at all. Okay. But I, it, I was intrigued by the franchise concept because I didn't know much about the model. Sure. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a curious entrepreneur. I went and bought a couple books and skimmed through them and learned what I could about franchising and then hired a consultant to come in and look at our business and tell me whether or not in his professional opinion, he thought it was franchisable. And he said, it absolutely is. Here's some of the things you need to do. And, and uh, so that's, that's kind of where the beginning was. And that was by now early 2009. And then a couple things happened and some of them were positive, some not so positive. Uh, one of the negative things that happened is my team of experts told me that for us to get our company from where we were that day into the franchise business where we could legally now be able to sell a franchise would take about six months and would cost us somewhere in the neighborhood of $150,000. And so here we are, this three-year-old company who's flying by the seat of our pants, never took on any investment, didn't have a line of credit, didn't have any bank lines or anything. So I went to my partner and I said, hey, look, you need to keep selling. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go spend all my time and about $150,000 of our money, (laughs) and I'm going to put us in the franchise business. And he said, okay, great, no problem. So, you know, then kind of every business owner's nightmare came true for me, which is that instead of six months and $150,000, it ended up being about 14 or 15 months and uh, almost a million dollars. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, and, and again, funded completely out of cash flow. So it was a bit of a shock to our system. Um, but we sold our first franchise in uh, early 2010, 
and then we made another crazy mistake, which was um, there are a lot of very successful, very large franchise companies who don't sell franchise locations in Canada and specifically or primarily don't sell franchises in Quebec. And there's a lot of reasons behind that. The laws are real tough uh, because of the, the uh, bilingual uh, requirements on labeling and, and all sorts of stuff. So it, it, it just complicates it and makes it very hard. So a lot of big franchise companies will not franchise in Quebec. So we sell our first franchise in Montreal. Right. And, uh, and so now not only do we have to go learn the franchise laws in a completely different country, uh, we have to learn accounting uh, on franchising and taxes and all those types of things in Canada. So it wasn't the smartest thing we ever did, but I will tell you that franchise is still open and operational and successful today. And, and one of our uh, smartest franchise owners and really, really a great team over there. So, you know, I, I really wouldn't turn back, but you know, in this article that you mentioned in, uh, in entrepreneur, uh, which I think is still out this month. Um, the whole magazine is based on rebels, and I guess they're billing me as a rebel. Sure. And one of the reasons is because I had this attitude in franchising, and I mentioned it in the article, that um, I, would, I would fix franchising. So instead of coming in and doing it the franchise way and hiring franchise people and following you know, some of the some of the things that franchise companies have learned over the years, I would come in this big, strong, uh, confident entrepreneur, and I would just shuffle things around and make it work my way. And that was, that was a very big mistake for me. And it cost me and the company a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of heartache. And, uh, I've since made some pretty, uh, drastic changes to our company to really, start to act and, and behave a lot more like a, a franchise system. And there are vast differences between running a company with m multiple locations and running a company with multiple franchise owned locations. Sure. No, I, I think that's, that's interesting. And it, it's kind of nice to know and hear you talk about kind of the, the pros and cons of it. So is there any advice you'd give kind of when people should franchise or is it kind of, really depend on what they're trying to do? Well, certainly it's different for every business. But sure. um, I, I think that a, if a business is to scale, you have to like, – I always think in scale. Whenever I'm going to do a new project, a new division in a company, and certainly whenever I'm going to build a new company, I always immediately start thinking in scale. So I don't think of it as a, as a $100,000 or $500,000 company. I think, what is this company going to look like at $10 million or $100 million? And how am I going to get it there? So I have a scale model in mind. And generally, I'm building to that scale model the moment I open the doors on a business. So first of all, you know, I would suggest that any small business owner who's looking to grow their company thinks about that company in scale. What does it look like? at whatever revenue I think I can get this business to, because otherwise you're going to constantly be challenged by uh, your lack of capital, your lack of accounting systems, your lack of process, your lack of uh, inventory, whatever it is, you're going to be missing something because you never thought of the business at a larger scale. Sure. Um, but from a, from strictly a franchising standpoint, you really have to look at your business and, and decide 
how easy is it to repeat this business? Is it something that I can teach someone else within 30 days how to run this business profitably and successfully, and can I do that over and over again? Interesting. And it, if your answers are yes, chances are your your business is franchisable. And you know, I don't recommend it to everyone. I certainly recommend that you uh, talk to experts and. You know, I'm certainly willing to, to throw my email address or, or whatever out there um, to people if they want to reach out to me. I'd, I'd be happy to have a conversation with someone who's thinking about getting into it. Not that I'm an expert, but I've certainly been through five years of it now. Sure. Uh, the good and bad. And so um, I, I could certainly help someone maybe not make the same mistakes I did. But, uh, but it, you know, it's, a, it's an unbelievable business model when it works. And it's, it's a frighteningly painful business model when it doesn't work. No, I, I think that's really good advice. So other than obviously kind of financially and maybe because you want to be geographically make sense for you to sell physical product in, you know, different locations across the countries or, or the world, is there any other kind of reasons why you'd, you'd franchise? Well, you know, the big thing is that you're sharing the expenses. So, yes, you're sharing revenue. You're giving, instead of making a 30% profit, you might be making a 5% royalty on the sale. Sure. And But you are, you're pushing out those expenses. You're sharing the expenses, which means you're really pushing out risk. So, it, you know, for me to go out and borrow from a bank $10 million and open a bunch of locations, versus going to 10 franchise owners and having them spend a million dollars of their own money to open those locations, which, you know, those numbers are not real. In, in my case, it's much smaller, but, um, you know, you're, you're sharing the risk and you're sharing the expense side of the business. And you're also sharing the upside, the revenue. So franchise businesses work very well at scale. There's that word again, but uh, you know, our system, we know that we'll, it will start to be very profitable and successful at somewhere around 30, 35 franchises. Until then, it's a business that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, at 18, which is where we are today, uh, we're not making a lot of money on the franchise side of our business, but we know where it's going. We can see where it's going. We've already uh, proven the concept. At 18, you're past all the, the scary times in franchising. Usually once you get to 10, uh, you've kind of gotten out of the out of the weeds a little bit, and so at 18, we've proven that we can build a franchise system. We've proven that it works. We've proven we can create successful franchises. Now we just have to scale it up to a point of of profitability. Once you get to 100 or 150 franchises, one of the great benefits is that um, it's now a relatively easy business to operate, and it's quite profitable. And they're also very much sought after by private equity. Sure. Private equity love franchise companies because it's a very known scale model. And uh, it's just something that they see as a very easy business to operate and um, just, you know, real identifiable profits and, and uh, just a simple model. Sure. No, I, I think that's awesome. So if I was looking to maybe franchise something, how do I even start or where do you go for that? Well, there's, there's a lot of different places. Uh, the IFA, International Franchise Association, is kind of the organization to be involved in uh, as a franchise company. So you can start by going to their website. I think it might be franchise.org, okay. uh, I believe, is their, is their web address. 
And so you can go to their site and start poking around and learning a bit. There's all kinds of resources available through the IFA. Um, but there's something called the Emerging Franchise Conference or Emerging Franchisor Conference. I believe it takes place in South Florida every year. And I, I went to it one time when we were first getting into franchising. And really what it is is a lot of people who are successful in the business speaking and teaching people who are either new to the business or considering getting into the business. So that's a really great resource right there. And the IFA in general is a great resource. But I would say use social media, reach out to guys like me who are in the franchise business, follow us and, and learn from us, and even you know reach out and try and start conversations with us because – uh, you know, there's no better way to learn than from a mentor who's already done it or is in the is in the thick of it right now. And uh, I certainly am a person who's willing to give up some of my time to help educate others. You know, to get into that business, I believe in in uh, uh, giving back and and all those kinds of things. I think it's great karma. Um, so, you know, I think those are some great ways. And then when eventually you have to start spending money. And that's when you hire a, a really good franchise consultant. And again, you can find franchise consultants through the IFA. Um, a franchise consultant will help look at your company, uh, figure out how to create your franchise system. They'll help you write uh, operations manuals, training manuals. And then you'll also have to hire a franchise attorney. And, and for sure, one thing I will caution anyone against is using your cousin, the family attorney. I got you. Um, to create franchise documents because that's franchising tends to be a fairly litigious business. And the people who get in trouble are the people with the weak documents. If, if you've got documents done by a real franchise attorney who is qualified to, to create those franchise documents, uh, chances are you'll be pretty safe. But um, there's a lot of holes that you can fall in in the franchise business if you're not well protected. And we have uh, probably the best franchise attorney in the business uh, is a gentleman, gentleman named Brian Schnell, who's based out of uh, out of Minnesota. Um, he's not inexpensive, but certainly at the end of the day, you want to make sure your documents protect both the franchisee and us. Sure. Uh, in the event of a in the event of a disagreement. Sure. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, and that's actually really good advice. So I, I know you kind of touched on it here and there, but is there anything else that you'd recommend that they, people should do or not do when kind of looking to franchise? Um, you know, I think as far as the things that you should do, again, learn as much as you can before you get into it because you can learn, you can lose a whole bunch of money really quickly. And what happens in franchising, if you do it wrong, and you rush out and you sell franchises real quick, but your model isn't really ready for franchising, what's going to happen is you're going to have five or six angry people on the other side who invested in your business model, and they're now not making any money. Right. And uh, what I'll say is in a normal startup business, if I fail, if I start a new business on my own and I fail, I blame me. If I start a franchise business that's your brand, I'm going to blame you. Sure. And it's, it's just an interesting dynamic in franchising. So no matter what happens, it's always your fault as the franchisor. They blame you. Right. And so you have to be prepared for that. And then I can tell you with a great deal of honesty that at the stage that we're at today, 
Um, all of our franchisees love us. We have a very good relationship with our franchisees. We take very good care of them. And they're not all making huge money yet either. So, you know, some of them still just have big eyes and, and they're really expecting to do great things. But it's because we've gone out of our way to take care of these people. So, you know, to get into franchising just to make a bunch of money on franchise fees, I would say you're getting into the wrong business because you're just going to be selling yourself into problems. And they, they can be pretty drastic problems. And there's a lot of lawyers out there waiting to come after you and take those fees back. Right. Um, so you really do have to have a legitimate desire to help people make money in your business model if you're going to get into franchising. Um, and, you know, the other thing is once you do start a franchise company, I learned again the hard way, like almost every franchise uh, business does, but don't just sell a franchise to anyone who's got a Visa card or a, or a checkbook. You have to vet your franchise prospects and make sure that they are people that you want to be in business with. Because although they're independent business owners, they're not my partners, they're not my customers, but I am stuck with them. I can't just fire them. Uh, you know, I am now stuck with that person. So I have to make sure that the person on the other end is someone that I feel like I really want to be in business with. And secondly, someone that I feel like will be successful in our business. Cause if they're just going to fail, whatever your franchise fee is, and today ours is 49,500, but whatever your fee is, it's not worth it. Right. Uh, I will lose more than that on a bad franchise. So um, just be cautious who you sell them to. And other than that, I mean, again, there's no other business model I know of where you can take, uh, you know, we're dealing with, we're dealing with a, a brand right now that's called Medici. It's a, it's a high-end pizza restaurant, which is uh, owned by the same people as uh, Menchie's Yogurt. Okay, yeah. And uh, my national accounts people told me that they just had a conversation with them. Medici just sold 150 franchises in 100 days. Oh, wow. And so they've only launched the brand for 100 days, and they've already sold 150 locations. Uh, so it can happen very, very quickly. And these are not, you know, these are franchises where the, each location is probably a half a million dollars or more uh, in build outs and in, in costs to go into business. So these aren't small investments. Sure. Um, so, you know, if you get it right, you can certainly scale very, very quickly. And, you know, you just have to get it right first. No, I, I think that's that's actually really good advice. And, and to be honest, I didn't really know anything about franchising or, or at all to be until we really are doing this show right now. And it's always kind of fascinated me. And I'm sure there's tons of other people that are looking into getting into it that don't know anything about it either. And that's partly why I wanted to have you on the show. The other reason that I really wanted to have you on the show is because, well, you were featured in Entrepreneur Magazine for being a rebel. And I kind of want to know more about like, why it's important to kind of, you know, be a rebel sometimes and, and kind of like your kind of mindset behind why it's important? Well, you know, great question, by the way, and great topic. And it's one that I've lived my entire life. Um, you know, so a, a couple of things. First of all, you know, a guy that you guys in Edmonton know really well named Wayne Gretzky yep. uh, coined a, uh, a pretty interesting uh, uh, quote a while back when someone asked him why, and anyone who's gone to a sales conference has probably heard this one, but 
Uh, someone asked him why he scores so many goals, so many more goals than any other hockey player out there. And he said, it's simple. I go where the puck isn't. And in business, since I was a very young kid uh, in business, that's what I've done my entire career. So I don't follow the crowd. I don't uh, jump into a business. You know, it's like uh, right now, one topic that comes to mind that everybody's jumping into head first is the marijuana business. Yep. And I have no interest in it whatsoever. Number one, you know, it's not something I would be proud to go home and tell my children I do for a business. Um, and number two, it, you know, it's just another one of those crazy sort of gold rush businesses. And I, I just don't have an interest in it. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that are going to make a lot of money in that business, but I don't go with the crowds. I go, I go, uh, either, you know, where the crowds are not or, uh, into businesses that there are no crowds yet. You know, it's such a new business and we certainly did that in the led space and in the franchising of an led company. We were the, we were the first national LED lighting brand as a LED lighting solutions provider in anywhere that I'm aware of, but certainly in the United States. And uh, secondly, we were the first, and, and you know, this is kind of where Entrepreneur was going with me, is that we were the first company to um, franchise uh, an LED lighting system, and therefore they called me a category creator. And that doesn't happen often. Yeah, well, congrats. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. You know, as you might imagine, there's thousands of different franchise brands out there, and um, they cover everything from maid services to massage to burgers and hot dogs and everything you can possibly imagine. So it's not often that a new category pops up in franchising. And uh, so that was kind of interesting that they recognized me for that. Um, and you know, again, I just, I, I always tend to do things a little differently or, or, uh, my own way. I don't follow the crowd and I guess that's what makes me a rebel. And so, uh, you know, I would say to people who are listening is follow your conviction, you know, be convicted, be, uh, be so into that idea that nobody can possibly sway you from that idea. And I feel like you're going to succeed because, you know, if, if you're that convicted and you're convinced that your idea is great, you know, don't let people talk you out of it and, and you'll succeed. And uh, unless, you know, I mean, genuinely, there are people who have stupid ideas. And, you know, for you, I apologize. But uh, for those of us uh, uh, who have reasonable ideas, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. It just has to be a little bit better, a little bit cheaper, a little bit different than the next guy. And you can be wildly successful with that idea or business or whatever it is. Sure. I think the thing is, too, is there's ways to validate your ideas, you know, and whether you need to pivot or or try something new before you kind of follow that, you know, instinct or down down the road of, of going in a terrible direction, right? So, Well, and I'll tell you what, Kevin, today you know, kids and, and younger people and people in business today have tools that I certainly did not have. And I think you're part of the younger generations, but I'm 51 years old. And I certainly didn't have, when I was starting in business, tools like the internet. And to me, from a standpoint of testing an idea, there's nothing like the internet because you can get immediately, uh, you can get information back and results back that tell you how your test did. 
And so in the past, you couldn't do that. And, you know, things like e-commerce sites, I can change something on the site and within a couple of hours, I can have the results of what that change did. Sure. You know, did it give me more traffic? Did I sell more? Did I sell less? Did I make more money? Did I make less money? Um, you know, the internet is a very, very powerful thing. And it's a tool that I didn't have when I was starting in business. And it's, it's an incredible, uh, incredible opportunity for young people today. Sure. No, I, I think that's awesome. And you're right. Like if you can validate your idea through the internet and then you believe in it, you know, you, you just need to go for it. Right. And, and it doesn't really matter. And you, and you need to cut out the people in your life that are negative. And that's what I did this year. I really oh, cut completely. out any of the negative people in my life. I just like stopped talking to them just over. Yeah. You know, like, it, you know, it's tough, it's tough to do, but you know, I, I learned that very, very early on. I, I grew up in, you know, I, I tell people I grew up in the wor in the bad part of Calgary, and people <laughs> okay, laugh at yeah. that because you know it, it's not like uh, Los Angeles or New York where you really got a bad part. The bad part of Calgary is kind of like you know a country club in a lot of other towns. <laughs> but uh, but I did grow up in the bad part of Calgary, and I learned probably in my in my mid-teens that you are who you hang out with. You will become who you hang out with. Sure. And so you associate yourself with successful people, you're going to be successful. If you associate yourself with, with uh, uh, you know, criminals and bad people, that's probably who you're going to become. And so um, I did the same thing. I really had to uh, kind of point my ship north and, and get away from the crowds that, that I was a part of as, as a youth. And, uh, you know, it certainly served me well. Sure. Well, yeah, obviously you, you're doing really, really well. And, um, you know, Thank just you. just the fact that you took the time under your busy day to, you know, kind of tell your story a little bit and give advice to people. And, you know, obviously you got featured on one of the top, if not the top entrepreneur magazine. Like, obviously you're doing yeah. well, right? You have validation from yeah. peers and journalists and the kind of the general public, yeah. right? So, yeah. You know, and and, that... I, and I'll tell you too, on, entrepreneur for me, it, this was actually the second time I'm in it. I was in it uh, pretty much exactly five years ago when we started our oh, franchise wow. system. And again, it, it was an article featuring me for being a guy who had, you know, the cojones to go out and start a brand new type of franchise system at a very tough time when the world was in crisis and the country was in, uh, you know, massive uh, recession and uh, so, but at that time I was so very excited because I really grew up reading entrepreneur magazine. It is one that, that inspired me as early as probably 17, 18 years old. So now, uh, at almost 50 to be, uh, featured in entrepreneur magazine was really exciting and, and a proud moment for me. And, uh, you know, my mom still has it on her counter at home today. So that first magazine. That's awesome. No, that's cool, man. Well, sadly, we're out of time. So I know you kind of mentioned people can reach out to you, but maybe let's promote where people can find um, the company online, um, you online, and any other um, links or things you want to mention to kind of close out the show. Yeah, thank you. So uh, our website obviously is, is www.ledsource.com. From our website, you can link to any of our social media We've got, uh, we're pretty active on, on Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube, where we've got some great LED lighting types of videos. Um, and myself, I'm, uh, uh, I think I'm just my name at everything, at LinkedIn, at Facebook, at Twitter, uh, Instagram. 
Marcel Fairbairn, M-A-R-C-E-L, Fairbairn, F-A-I-R-B-A-I-R-N. So obviously Twitter would be at my name, uh, et cetera. So um, you can find me on any of those. And again, I, I'm perfectly happy and willing to have a conversation with anyone who is considering taking their business into franchising or even just has a business that they're looking to scale and they want to bounce some ideas. I'm a real good guy to bounce ideas off of. I, I always say that I can solve the world's problems. I just have trouble with my own. <laughs> and uh, so I guess that would make me a good consultant someday. But, um, but yeah, so you can reach me on, on any of the social media platforms. And, uh, again, the company at uh, ledsource.com. Perfect. Well, uh, I will post the, all those links in the show notes so people can actually just go to the website and uh, check them out online. But Marcel, thanks for uh, taking the time out of your day to do this. I really appreciate it, and it was a great show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you. Likewise, and thank you for the opportunity, Kevin. Perfect. Thanks, man. Talk soon. Okay. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can visit past shows at buildingthefutureshow.com. If you're going to the Startup Expo on February 16th and 17th in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and want to record an episode, please contact me. The music for the show is by Electric Mantra. Check him out at electricmantra.com. Until next time, keep building the future.